continue to pray, like while we're doing this, because people do walk by, and it's, you know, there are people that aren't in church right now, maybe they had it earlier, or they go Saturday night, you know, but there could be people that aren't in church, and be good if there was a way that God would move in their heart to ask us a question, or to stop for a second and to listen, or, you know, so um, be praying for that as we do this, that God would use us, and this morning, um, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to read the first <clears throat> five verses together. So 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 5, all at once. You ready for this? You all buckled in? All right. <clears throat> for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that with so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the passage today. I pray that you would give us a heart to understand it um, and a heart to apply it to our lives today so that we can be encouraged by the understanding of your word and that it can be changing our life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to try to have my hand on my notes so the wind doesn't blow it away. It's been pretty windy. but um, All right, so the title this morning is Morality, no, sorry, Mortality and Immortality. And so we start in uh, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So when you come across a verse that begins with the word for, or therefore, what's the question you should ask yourself? What's it there for? Right. You know you've sat under expository teaching when you know how to answer that question. Because we're not just topical here. We go straight through, and we have to ask ourselves, what is it there for? What came before this? We're picking up in the middle of a thought. We don't want to lose track of that thought. And so, what is there for? In the last chapter... Paul was making the case that he's not confident in the flesh. He's not confident in himself. He does preach boldly, perhaps unlike the Jews might have been used to in the temple, how they used to maybe read and explain things very very um, uh, uh, non-colorful, if you will, whereas the apostles, they were animated and they were bold. Um, but this false accusation that they were somehow doing it to promote themselves or to be confident in themselves. That's what Paul's been explaining, and he's been demonstrating just how frail his body is to show that it was completely illogical to think that he, being fragile and broken as he was in the flesh, would ever try to boast in the flesh or be confident in himself. And so he said things like in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8, We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. So there is hope in those verses, like I've explained before. At every turn, there's hope. Paul's not completely despairing of life. 
but they are going through a hard time and he feels physically drained, physically fragile, physically broken, physically weak. And so he's saying there's no reason why I would be boasting in myself or have confidence in my flesh. But God is with them. It's God who sustains them. And he also finds hope in the outcome of what's being produced by their ministry. So in verse 12 of the last chapter, he said, Death in us is producing life in you. And so, and he also said in verse 15, All things are for your sakes. So we don't lose heart even in suffering, Paul would say. In fact, this is what comes right before that for. He says, we don't lose hope for, and then he begins this verse. Actually, no, I'm sorry. We don't lose heart, and it becomes before a different for in verse 17 of the last chapter. For, there's a couple of fours here. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And that's what he says right before the four in this chapter. So he's going through explaining that. My body's frail, it's fragile, there's death. I don't have confidence in myself, but there is hope. And then he says, for this momentary light affliction. So all the suffering they're going through right now, it all kind of seems temporary and light when he thinks about the future glory coming the reward coming. And so then he says, For for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Okay, so last week, Paul had given three weeks, or three weeks, three reasons to hope in the midst of suffering. Um, one reason was that God hadn't forsaken them. That was one of the reasons. They're, you know, they're perplexed, they're they're, they're bearing about the dying of Jesus all the time. They're suffering, but they're not forsaken. God hasn't forsaken them. <clears throat> the second reason was that God was using their suffering. God was manifesting his life in them, like the light that shines through the cracked vessel. Their death was producing life in others. But the third reason was that God was going to reward them with eternal life. And so suffering is temporary. It can't even compare with the eternal weight of glory that awaits them. And so Paul is still referring to that third hope in this chapter. He's still on that thought in this chapter, that thought of this eternal reward coming, this third reason to hope. He's still on that thought when we come in to this chapter. Suffering is temporary. And even if it results in our actual death, that's okay, Paul would say. Because this earthly tent, this physical body we have, is not our final destination. This body we dwell in right now is not our final destination. <clears throat> we have something much better coming. And so then in verse 2, For indeed this house, in this house, talking about our body, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up in life. So, kids' question. 
How many kids uh, put on clothes this morning? Raise your hands. Why'd you do that? But why does that matter? Why don't we all just walk around naked all the time? Why? Yes, exactly. I'm going to bring up that point. That's perfect. I could come to you for my sermon notes. Have any of you had that dream where you're going about your day doing normal mundane things like going shopping or going working, but you realize you're not wearing any clothes? Yes. No. Oh, yeah, that dream. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, I've had so many times. Yeah, it's a common dream. And you feel like embarrassed and you feel ashamed and you can't figure out where your clothes are and like people don't notice maybe but you, like you notice and like everyone's like all normal about it but you're kind of like you're naked and it's uncomfortable right exactly so that sense of being uncomfortable being naked goes all the way back to what you were saying genesis 3 adam and eve when they were created genesis 3 when adam and eve were created they were they were um, naked and unashamed but then suddenly in Genesis 3, they get tempted by the serpent. They eat the fruit of the tree. They sin. The knowledge of good and evil comes into them. Then they hide themselves from God because they recognize they're naked and they're ashamed. And so here Paul is talking about what it would be like to come before the judgment seat of the Almighty God without having our sins forgiven having all of our sins laid bare before the Almighty God is a much worse sensation than just the feeling of being naked and being ashamed, but it's of a similar kind. He's pointing back to the, the shame that Adam and Eve felt when they were naked before God, knowing they had sinned. And he's saying, we don't want to go before God being unclothed or being, having our, our evil deeds laid bare before God. We'd be vulnerable. It would be shameful. Nobody would want that. And it'll be like that dream, but much worse if you go before God and your sins haven't been forgiven. On the other hand, those who have had their sins forgiven, when they go before God, they don't have that shame. They've been clothed with their dwelling from heaven, Paul says in verse 2. And they're not ashamed. So what a tremendous thought that is. All the bad that you've done, all the things you're ashamed about, all the things that it hurts to even remember you've done, the things you still regret, all of that stuff, if you're a believer, is forgiven you and washed away and forgotten. Not only that, when you go before God, He doesn't see those things. He sees the new creation that you've put on, that was given to you when you believed in Christ. You're a new creation. You've put that on. Remember from um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, when Paul said, For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal person must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. So he keeps using this term, put on. So our soul is going to put on a new body. And, you know, I've said before, but my view is it's not an entirely new 
body where you're not going to be recognized. I believe it's more of a, of a purging of the bad parts of our current body and a renewal of it, an infusion of new life. So like in Romans 8, verse 11, for example, Paul says, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. And so here in verse 4, um, Paul says, What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So it's not like, I think, our current body is completely done away, but it's, it's renewed. It's raised, and it's renewed, and it's infused with new life. It's swallowed up in life. So in the present moment, those who have the right perspective about things have a certain kind of spiritual groaning when they think of these things. And so Paul says in verse 4, While we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal we swallowed up in life. In this current moment, we're in this kind of now but not yet phase where we... Remember in Romans 6 through 8, Paul talks about how we are dead to sin. We are alive to God. We, we died to sin. We began our new life. But then he says, so consider yourselves dead to sin and consider yourselves uh, in newness of life and don't let sin reign. But those kinds of statements, the don't let sin reign and the consider yourself dead wouldn't be necessary if we actually already were dead. But he just said we were dead. And so we're, we're kind of in, in between place where Paul's saying this is what happened spiritually. Spiritually, your old life has ended and your new life has begun. But you're still kind of trapped in your current physical body. And you still struggle with sin and, and struggle with temptation. And that's going to continue until you actually get raised and the old body is completely done away with. And it's completely renewed and infused with new life. The old life ends, the new life begins. So we're kind of in this now but not yet time. We're still clothed with mortality, which is where the title comes from. We're still clothed with mortality, mortality, but we're on the edge of it. And we know that at any point we, we could pass beyond that into immortality. And in, in, in that time, that's when the sinfulness and the shame and everything is completely done away with. And we're clothed with our new body, which is renewed and infused with the life of Christ. And in that time, verse 54 of 1 Corinthians 15, the mortal will have put on immortality. And so we groan currently when we struggle with our sin and we struggle with any kind of sadness or we look at the world around us and we look at the death and we look at the corruption and we look at the, the, the viruses and the sickness, everything going on around, we look at all those things and there's a kind of spiritual groaning when we recognize that, man, once we get resurrected, none of this is going to be there anymore. And so like in Revelation 21 verse 4, you know, there's no more sadness, there's no more pain, there's no more worry, there's no more suffering. All those things have passed away. So there's a kind of groaning that happens when we think about that because there's a part of us that even though we might love certain things about this world, when you look at all the bad and you think about how all that we like in this world is going to be better than and all the things we hate about now are going to be gone, there's a kind of groaning we desire, we, we long for it. And then in verse 5, Paul says, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave us the Spirit as a pledge. So God's prepared us 
for this very purpose. We're not just prepared for life right now. We're prepared for eternal life. And then and we get to have a small taste of it now because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the pledge. What does that mean? What does that mean that he's a pledge? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is a pledge for us? Well, Paul says something a bit more detailed in Ephesians along the same lines. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then verse 14, Who was given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's possession, no, sorry, a redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. So when we hear the gospel and we believe it, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. He is the seal and He's also the pledge. Now I believe that the language that Paul is using here has to do with Jewish tradition that's somewhat different in our culture so I want to explain it because I think it'll it'll help make sense of some things in a traditional Jewish wedding there are many parts there's the betrothal period and there's the wedding ceremony but there's also way more than that but in these traditions when a man and a woman want to become betrothed they meet together under this canopy And they declare their intention to be betrothed. And people are there witnessing this. And when the man and the woman declare their intention to be betrothed, they exchange gifts, valuable gifts, as a kind of pledge of this betrothal period. And like rings and that sort of thing. And then there's a year period where the man goes away to prepare for the wedding and for life for his bride. But before he goes away, he then gives her another gift to seal this betrothal period, some valuable gift while he's gone to say, I'm coming back for you. Here's this valuable gift to, to guarantee my promise for you. And so you have in Jewish tradition, there's this, this pledge and this seal. These things have to do with this wedding ceremony, and it's all about a promise of something greater coming later. Now, in our culture, we've got a, an engagement ring, which is sort of kind of like putting both those things into one. The man proposes, gives a ring, and the ring is sort of a pledge of this is an engagement, but there's more coming later. There's a marriage coming later and a, a whole life together. But here's a ring for now, and it's expensive, it's costly, it's intended to demonstrate worth in future things. And so what Paul's saying here is that the Holy Spirit is that for us. And so in this bigger context of hope, of eternal life, of things to come, of what the new life will be like, of what resurrection will be like, he's saying the Holy Spirit was given as a pledge for that. So what he means is, in a sense, we can think about what the Holy Spirit is for us, what he does in our life as a sort of foreshadowing of things to come. And this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. So when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us, as believers, we begin to be changed. The Bible talks about, for example, fruit of the Spirit. 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we begin to see those things in our life the longer we walk with Christ because of the work of the Spirit in us. The Bible also talks about the gifts of the Spirit. Serving, teaching, healing, prophecy, tongues, discernment, among other things. And these are things the Spirit gives to us so that we can minister to one another and build up the church and glorify Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that the Holy Spirit who does these things in us is the seal and the pledge, the promise of eternal future we have in Christ. The engagement ring, if you will, that Jesus left to his church to remind them that he is coming back for them. So it's a foreshadowing. So the joy we have now in Christ, the peace we have now, the the gentleness, the self-control, the gifts, the experiences we have being in the presence of Christ, those are all the things the Holy Spirit has given as a pledge for greater things coming later. And so it gives us hope. So all that we enjoy about our Christian experience now is only a foreshadowing of greater things to come. It's been given as a pledge, and when Christ returns the groom for his bride, the church, and we go away with him into glory forever, it's going to be way greater than it is now for us. So in the midst of Paul's suffering, while continuing to, while continuing to live in the bodies of flesh that struggle with temptation and sin, while continuing to suffer physically through persecution and trials, they find hope because they know that a better future is coming. They know that eternal life is theirs. And when they think about what it will be like, it makes their current suffering seem petty and temporary and momentary. And the Holy Spirit's work in them is a constant reminder of the promise to Christ to give them this eternity. And so they're hopeful. So let's not forget that Paul's primarily talking about why he does not boast in his own flesh. And hopefully, I mean, Paul's made it crystal clear by now. He's leaving no room in his flesh anywhere to boast. And yet, if you read how Paul preaches with the confidence and boldness that he preached, you'd never know that he was groaning or burdened or frail or fragile or that he felt on the brink of death all the time. You wouldn't know by how he preached or how he lived. He lived with joy and confidence, not because of his current situation, but because of what was coming. And that should be reflected in us. When people see us smiling or happy, it shouldn't be because our life is going well now. We should be able to suffer now and people see us having joy because we have hope in what's coming. which I failed at today. I had no joy this morning because of children issues. Took my joy away completely. I was not thinking of hope of the future. Just a confession moment that I need to work on. But we have this hope of eternity, of being clothed with life. And this is the hope that we have if we believe. And this hope should cause us to focus so much on the future of what's coming and so much less on our current distress. We shouldn't despair or feel abandoned by God. We should instead set our minds on eternity, 
find our hope there, and see the work of the Holy Spirit in us as a pledge of the future inheritance together.